0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has no food must do likewise. Whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages." As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. To clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people the Gospel of the Lord. In the 1940s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian, pastor, and anti Nazi dissident. Besides being a brilliant and prolific author, he is also known for his staunch resistance to Nazi rule and was vocally opposed to Hitler's systematic execution of the Jews in Europe. He became involved in the failed attempt to assassinate Hitler and was arrested in 1943 shortly after becoming engaged to be married. He was court martialed and sentenced to death. After being imprisoned for a year and a half, Bonhoeffer was hanged in Flossenburg concentration camp at the age of 39. While in prison, Bonhoeffer wrote many letters to loved ones, he wrote poems, many theological papers which had been collected in the volume Letters and Papers from Prison. In December 1943, he wrote to his parents and said, From the Christian point of view, there is no problem with Christmas in a prison cell. That loneliness and guilt mean something different in the eyes of God than in the eyes of man. That God approaches when men turn away. That Jesus was born in a stable because there was no place for him in this world. These things, a prisoner can understand. For him, these really are glad tidings. That faith gives him a place in the communion of saints, which is a Christian fellowship breaking the bounds of time and space and reducing time of confinement here to nothing in this way. My dear <clears throat> Mama and Papa, I am with you this Christmastide. St. Paul also writes from a prison cell in Rome around the year 62 to his beloved congregation in Philippi. He writes to them words of love and gratitude and affection, for they have been the strongest supporters of his ministry, even sending him gifts while he is in chains. He writes to them about hardship and humility, love, service, and hope beyond suffering. He tells them that, even though they face persecution and danger, their lives as Christians should be consistent with Jesus, who gave himself up in love for others. Paul writes, rejoice! Rejoice always! Don't worry about a thing. Words that smack of irony, having been penned in prison to move from the reality of prison to the metaphoric, there are many this year who feel imprisoned as Christmas approaches. That is to say, many also cry out from our cells of isolation. During such a time when many people still, still feel cut off from meaningful relationships, due to the ongoing pandemic? During a time when fear and weariness abound? During such a time when six states are digging out from this weekend's catastrophic tornadoes? During such a time when our wounded planet weeps? Don't Bonhoeffer's and Paul's words resonate deeply with us? We are told to rejoice, and not worry, but what does Paul mean by rejoicing in prison? What if we simply cannot? And what if we are plagued by worry? Does this mean our faith is weak? The U.S. Surgeon General has issued a warning about the mental health of young people today. He reports that one in three high school students reported feeling persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. This is a 40% increase from 2009 to 2019, before the pandemic. From my conversations with my children and with my students, I believe this to be true. Christian and I were driving home from a college visit to Central, and he shared with me the things he worries about And I am 100% positive I worried about none of these things when I was 17. So I cannot tell my children or my students to rejoice and not to worry. But we can hope together and love one another, journey together. Sometimes joy is scraped up off the floor rather than shouted from rooftops. And sometimes worry doesn't crush if it is shouldered by a friend. Bonhoeffer and Paul speak to us in very special ways these days, I think, because many people feel trapped and imprisoned either by walls or worry. And the Advent message that God has for us of I am coming falls on ears differently than we might expect. In other words, perhaps glad tidings of great joy fall gladly on some ears, but not necessarily on all. The message, I am coming, is only good news if you want that person to come in the first place, even if you are sitting in prison. Two examples. When the boys were tiny, when they were toddlers, their dad and I traveled to Ireland for a week. When we landed back in Iowa, I called my sister-in-law and told her that we were on our way home from the airport. Tell the boys I'm coming. I said, no, she said, I have just put them to bed. But I got home, I turned on the hallway light, I sneaked up the creaky stairs, I whispered, I'm coming. Opened the door barely an inch, and mayhem ensued. A very sweet homecoming. In this example, the message, I am coming, is good news to little ones trapped in their cribs. Another example, though, from my own childhood, shows how the message I am coming isn't always necessarily good news. When I was maybe 10, I decided it would be funny to dump a bowl of cold water on my sleeping brother. He woke with a roar, chased me down the hall, I locked myself in the bathroom, and he punched a hole almost clean through the door. Suddenly, we realized that we were now allies against a common foe, our father. We called him at work and told him what happened, and he simply replied, I'm coming. We hid in my bedroom. We heard the garage door open. We heard the car keys drop on the kitchen table. We saw the door open and my father walk in. This message of I am coming was terrifying to us, trapped in my room. The message, I am coming, is good news to some but not to others, depending on your perspective. And simply put, truth be told, sometimes we prefer prison because at least it's familiar. If you've ever seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption, you remember Brooks who, after being freed from prison, 50 years in prison, hangs himself because he has no idea how to live outside of prison. John the Baptist tells the people in the wilderness that Jesus is coming, and they panic. What do we do? Tell us what to do before he comes, they say. So John yells at them, calls them a bunch of snakes trying to wiggle their way out of what's coming, which probably doesn't help the situation much, but then he tells them what to do. Be good people. Share. Don't steal. Don't abuse your power. He could have stopped there, having made his point. But he goes on. Be wheat, he says. Don't be chaff, for chaff will be burned with unquenchable and eternal fire. And then Luke says John goes on proclaiming this good news to the people, which is kind of funny, because he literally just scared the hell out of them or into them, as the case may be. But this crowd proves that the message, I am coming, falls on different ears in different ways. Maybe some walk away rejoicing because they are convinced that they are in good shape, they are wheat, that Jesus will be pleased with them when he comes. But in all likelihood, most people probably walked away worried because they know they don't always share. They know they sometimes take what doesn't belong to them, they know they abuse their power, they know they haven't always been good people, in short, they know they are unworthy and undeserving, and this certainly does not bode well for them when Jesus comes. I'm sure I'm not the only one who remembers the terror of the childhood game hide-and-seek, tucked away in some weird coat closet with heart pounding and palms sweating, as the kid who's it shouts, ready or not, here I come, and you hear footsteps approaching. The message that God is coming sometimes causes panic and fear, uncertainty and doubt. These things that feel anything but joy. Except we're forgetting about grace. You cannot forget about grace. If we are really honest... We hear the Advent message that Jesus is coming more like my brother and I hiding in my room than the jubilant cries of my baby sons. But I didn't tell you what happened after my father got home. You assumed he punished us. We assumed he would punish us. But he didn't. We talked. Grace is expecting punishment, but getting love instead. We all question joy these days, and it's hard not to when you hear the news. We all worry, whether you admit it or not, but joy is present, just in ways that are unexpected or maybe even messy. Bonhoeffer receives a loaf of his mother's gingerbread in prison, and he feels joy. From his cell, Paul thinks of his beloved friends in Philippi, and he feels joy. After the gush of blood and amniotic fluid, a mother feels joy. A hospice nurse whispers words of comfort and feeds ice chips to a dying human. And there is some sort of joy. Joy can look reflective, it can look exuberant, it can look uncertain. Joy can be written, or screamed, or sung, or signed. Joy is all of these things, because at the heart of joy is grace. And that Jesus is coming to you, whether you want him to or not, whether you are ready or not, whether you believe or not, not to punish, but to love, to forgive, to walk alongside on blistered feet, to cry our human tears, to sweat our human sweat, to bleed our human blood. It's okay to encounter Christmas and think, I don't understand any of this. No one understands Christmas and what it means for God to become human, and that's not really the point. Christmas is to be received wherever we are even in a prison cell, however you hear the message, I am coming, know that God is coming to you as you are, because God loves you. Bonhoeffer writes, Joy abides with God. And it comes down from God, and it embraces spirit and soul and body. And when this joy has seized a person, there it spreads. There it carries one away. There it bursts open closed doors. Another sort of joy exists that knows nothing of the heart's pain and anguish and dread. But that joy doesn't last. It only numbs a person for a moment. But the joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. This is why it is invincible and irrefutable. The shepherds, like the wise ones from the east, stand at the manger not as converted sinners, but simply because they have been drawn to the manger just as they are. Amen.